all places together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, pastor of All Places Together and your host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. I've got a question for you. What's God's love like? Why do you drink tea every morning? I like having something warm and the caffeine helps me feel less tired. How does caffeine work? Well, I'm not entirely sure, but it does something in my brain to make it be more alert when I'm tired. Why are you tired? I didn't sleep well last night. Why didn't you sleep well last night? Well, I had a dream that all the trees in my backyard fell down and it woke me up at 4.45 a.m. and I just couldn't get back to sleep. Why do we dream? Have you ever found yourself in such a line of questioning? This, I feel like, is often done by children or even teens who are either genuinely curious about a topic or who are perhaps trying to avoid something. Being at the receiving end of such questions can be frustrating, and at other times, though, it can open up our minds to curiosity and wonder. Not being able to answer a question may lead to a deep dive on Google, YouTube, or even a trip to the library to find an answer. I know that I'm so glad that the Eyewitness Kids books still exist. Those were awesome when I was a kid. And then on the other hand, when you are explaining something complicated, there's often this feeling of awe and wonder that's just amazing. Basking in how cool nature is, how amazingly complicated our bodies are, or marveling at the creative minds of people and all of the neat things that people invent, make, build, and create. The connectedness of curiosity and wonder can really be even seen in the different ways that we use the singular word wonder. Wonder as in, I wonder why something happens or is the way it is. Or wonder as in, I experienced wonder as I looked out over the valley from the mountaintop. These two things, curiosity and wonder, are also key components of faith. At least they are for me. Curiosity leads us to learn more about God, God's stories, and how God works in the world, how God works in us, and how God works in others too. Then the experience of awe and wonder comes as we reflect and take in those answers and see the beauty all around it, in it, and through it. Now, I know that some people grew up in Christian traditions that were kind of like against questions. Maybe it was okay to ask basic questions about the Bible story to make sure you had the basics down. More like questions in the category of reading comprehension. But deeper, more complicated questions were discouraged. The focus was on accepting what the pastor and the other leaders said. That's what faith was about. Certain types of school and parenting styles can be like this too, and there just isn't always a lot of room for questions and curiosity. 
In some situations and households and schools, memorization and obedience are prized over researching and finding new ways of doing things. But of course, not all churches, schools, or parenting styles are like this. There are churches and schools and parents that thrive on questions and curiosity. Or at least they do on their best days, when they've had their morning caffeine and enough sleep. I really strive to have APT be a community like this. You may not know it. I've not really talked about this a lot before on the podcast, but All Places Together is part of a Christian tradition called Lutheranism. And the whole reason that this particular type of Christianity unfolded at the time it did was first because of the printing press, but then also because of the questions of a man named Martin Luther. Luther lived in Germany in the 1500s, and as a young adult, he was set to go to law school. But then he got caught outside in this awful thunderstorm, and he prayed that if he made it through the storm alive, that he would become a Catholic monk and leave his law school plans behind. He lived, and he became a monk. He, like, followed through on that promise. It's really kind of amazing. I've made plenty of promises to God in stressful situations, and I don't know that I followed through with many of them at all. Anyhow, Luther goes through with his training. He becomes a monk, says his vows, and then as he's living his monk life, it turns out he has lots of questions about God and how faith works and what the church was doing at that particular moment in in history. He had questions like, how would he ever know if he was really good enough to make it into heaven? Why was the Bible only written in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin and not in the language of the people, the language that they actually spoke? And one of my favorites, did the Pope at the time know that his followers were out there terrifying people about eternal damnation, selling indulgences to give them peace of mind, knowing full well that the papers did absolutely nothing? Yeah, guys, the Pope knew. That was kind of the whole plan. That's a whole nother episode in and of itself. As you might imagine, these types of questions got Luther in trouble and eventually kicked out of the Catholic Church. While Luther never meant to form a different branch of Christianity, and he definitely didn't want people to name these type of Christians after him, he did get kicked out and they did name themselves after him. So here I am. 500 years later, calling myself a Lutheran pastor and having my own big list of questions about God and how to live faith out. There's plenty of stuff I disagree with Luther on. He was far from perfect, but his willingness to engage questions is something I know I'll always be thankful for. And one other really sweet thing about Luther, he ended up being a husband and a dad. One of his kids, Hans, was one of those big-time questioner kids, always asking his dad why. Luther was so influenced by this that he ended up shaping his major teaching document around the types of questions that his son would ask. This document was to help parents be able to teach their kids about different important things of faith, like the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. So after each section of what he wanted them to to learn and talk about, he would write, what does this mean? And then he would go on to answer it. 
So y'all, it turns out that kids have been asking never-ending chains of why questions for at least the past 500 years. So as a Lutheran pastor, I'm part of a tradition that started because of questions, and it's a tradition that keeps questioning. Moreover, as the leader of All Places Together, your questions, dear listener, mean a lot to me. Like, yes, I love big questions in general, but in particular, my heart is with you and with what your questions are. That's the main reason that we're having the All Questions Together event next week, so that I can hear your questions. And like I've said before, I don't expect to ever be able to answer all of them, but hopefully we'll be able to answer some of them together. And even if we couldn't answer them, I think there's value in asking questions, wondering about God, and experiencing wonder about God together. So to help prime our imaginations and to begin our exploration of questions, we're going to begin a new podcast series about questions. The first three episodes of this series are going to be questions that come from the core identity of all places together. And then I'm working on lining up some interviews with people who wrestle with questions, ask questions, and try to answer questions as part of their daily life. The first question we're going to wonder about together comes from All Places Together's core affirmation, that God loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are. The question is, what is God's love like? I put the call out on social media to invite our friends there to share what images, verses, or Bible stories came to mind when they think about what God's love is like. I'm going to share some of the answers here. Ali shared the image of God taking refuge under God's wings, even though it turns out she doesn't really like birds that much. So I kind of love that this is the image that means so much to her, even if she doesn't like birds. So this comes from Psalm 91, verses 1 to 4. Living in the Most High's shelter, camping in the Almighty's shade, I said to the Lord, you are my refuge, my stronghold. You are my God, the one I trust. God will save you from the hunter's trap and from deadly sickness. God will protect you. You will find refuge under God's wings. God's faithfulness is a protective shield. I love this image that God's love is protection and a safe place for us to be and to catch our breath. And now, Allie, I do apologize if this makes you feel uncomfortable, but I have to admit, I kind of love the idea of imagining God as different types of birds and like what it would be like to be under those different wings. Because like imagining God as an eagle with powerful wings to keep threats out of the nest is one thing. And then also like God as mother hen, kind of clucking her chicks together into the coop is another. And I also, y'all, it's winter. Like the idea of God as a penguin, sheltering chicks from the harsh cold with little penguin wings. Also beautiful. Next, we'll hear from Joy. She said that Isaiah 42 verse 3 was an important verse for her in her thinking about God's love. That verse reads, He won't break a bruised reed. He won't extinguish a faint wick, but he will surely bring justice. 
This verse is taken from one of the servant songs in Isaiah. These songs describe what God's servant will be like or is like. So the he in the verses isn't really God, but it's someone who is emulating God or being like God. Christians often ascribe these attributes to Jesus. So here is the idea that God won't be the one to let go of us when we're hanging on by the last thread. God's with us, and God will also work for justice in the world. So hopefully that we won't be forced to our last thread again. Finally, Steve wrote in that Jesus's commandment at the Last Supper is an important way that he thinks about God's love. In John 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love one another. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. Steve adds that, Here in these verses, God doesn't add stipulations or conditions for how we are to love one another, just that we are told to love. And this verse is actually one that APT quotes in our Reconciling in Christ Welcome Statements. This commandment calls us to love fully and deeply, without qualifications and without exclusions. Thank you to Allie, Joy, and Steve for sharing your reflections with us. You've sparked our imagination about what God's love is like and provided us with some beautiful answers. I have several more passages from Scripture that I would like for us to look at together, too. The first one is the kind that you just have to read, like whenever you're talking about love. And then the others speak to the wherever, whoever, and however parts of APT's core affirmation. Let's dig in. Okay, dear listeners, I give you full permission to groan as I read to you a portion of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible. That's right. Now, we mostly hear this passage at weddings, and while the verses do apply to love that is shared between two spouses in marriage, the author Paul was actually writing about the kind of love that Christians are to show one another in community. He's writing about what God's love is like. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll just be reading verses 4 to 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. God's love for each of us as individuals, for all of us as people, and for all of creation is like these verses say, patient, kind, forgiving. Justice-seeking, trusting, hoping, and enduring. Now, these attributes aren't necessarily like warm and fuzzy feeling words, right? Like, they're not romantic things. Though when we receive patience, kindness, forgiveness, justice, trust, hope, and someone sticking with us, we may have warm and fuzzy feelings about it. These attributes about what God's love is like are actions. They are actions that God does for us, 
to us, with us, and through us. Another attribute of what God's love is like is that it isn't bound to a particular location. It's not just in one place, like, say, uh, I don't know, a church building, right? God's love is boundless and can be found in all places of creation. Wherever we are, God's love is there too. The following verses from Romans 8, 38 and 39 really capture this in a beautiful way. The author of Romans, Paul writes, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not things present nor future things, not powers or height or depth or anything else in all of creation can keep us from God's love. So anywhere in creation that we find ourselves or whatever the place we go to after this life, God's love is there. No matter where people in our lives invite us to be or force us to be, God's love is there. No matter where we have been in the past, where we are now, or where we are going, God's love is there. The highest mountain, deep under the sea, anywhere and everywhere in between, God's love is there. This verse has been so important to me since I was a teenager, when I first really wrestled with my faith, struggled with mental health, and probably my sexuality too, even though I didn't have words for that then. These words assured me that there wasn't anything I could do or anywhere I could go that would separate me from God. God loves me wherever I am, and God loves you wherever you are. This leads into the question of who God's love is for then. The verses that Steve shared pointed to the truth about God's love being for everyone and anyone, whoever they are. Another important verse to lift up with this is another verse written by Paul. (laughs) He writes this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. These binaries were the defining categories that people were put into during Paul's lifetime. Society defined people as fitting into one or the other of these categories, nationality, freedom status, and sex. And while there were people who were in between or beyond these binaries, they weren't really seen as important or worthy of note. Needless to say, that sucks. Also, in each of the binaries, there was one type that was definitely better than another, Like, it was a hierarchical situation here. That also sucked. Paul's words are so radical because they not only remove these binaries, or at least seek to remove the binaries, but also the categories as a whole. His words point to our shared humanity, more specifically, our shared humanity and unity in Christ. Over the course of time, biblical interpreters have rewritten these words with some of the binaries that they might experience in their day or age. So in 2023, we might say that there's neither white nor black, Republican or Democrat, gay or straight, 
the 1% or the 99%, pro-choice or pro-life, flat earthers or climate activists. Chances are, for some of these binaries, you might see yourself on one side or the other. For other of these binaries, you may be somewhere in between. And for some of them, you may not fit in at all. Like, thinking about it in this way, I think, brings the verse into the present day. But some of those same issues of binaries not always being helpful and understanding people still exist. So regardless, the truth I want you to hear here is that God's love is so expansive and inclusive that it includes everyone. Even the people that you and I would really rather not be connected with, like whoever those people may be, and it might be different for each of us, we're connected to them. We are one with them in the body of Christ. God's tent is the biggest tent there is. Let's close our questioning today with exploring how God's love is with us, however we are. I don't have a single passage or verse for this one. Rather, I just want to share a list of some of the people in the Bible that God has shown up for in powerful and life-changing ways to make this point. That God has seen enough nonsense, heartbreak, and doubt from people that, like, you are good. You are so good with God. And I don't mean that, like, in a flippant way at all, but rather in a genuine, hopeful way that these examples can deeply comfort you in God's love. Then you can know that God's love is fully and thoroughly with you. First up, Hannah. Hannah's story is told in 1 Samuel. Hannah publicly laments about wanting to be pregnant at the temple to the point that people think she is drunk and out of her mind. Long story short, God sees her and is with her, and she ends up conceiving and giving birth to a son. Hannah then gives this son over to the temple, over to God, so to speak, and he becomes a great prophet. So if you are feeling desperation about your body or you are in deep grief about a family situation, God is there with you. Next, Jonah, whose story is told in the four-chapter book named after him. Jonah runs away from God's instructions, like doesn't want anything to do with what God is asking him to do and gets swallowed by a really big fish. From the belly of the fish, he apologizes to God and gets out, gets back on dry land, and does follow God's instructions, but he does so in like the sassiest of sassy ways. Even still, Jonah manages to preach a sermon that converts the entire city that he hates so much and didn't want to go to. So if you are in a point of running away from God or praying for help or not being 100% pleasant about things, God is there. Now to Elijah. Elijah we can read about in First and Second Kings. And Elijah is a big name um, as far as prophets go in the Old Testament. So there's like a variety of stories that we could point to for Elijah. But this is the one I want to talk about today. Like he's faithful for such a long time, but he ends up getting burned out and his life is at risk. So he runs into the wilderness to escape the people who are after him. And while he's there, God sends an angel to watch over him while he naps and then sends an apprentice of sorts to kind of help him out in a new phase of life. 
So if you find yourself in a, in a situation of great faithfulness or in a season of burnout or fleeing a toxic situation or in a season of recuperation or healing, God is there. We've also got to talk about Hagar, whose story is in Genesis and also can be found in the Quran. Hagar is an enslaved woman from a foreign tribe who is abused by her enslavers. Her enslavers are important faith ancestors in both the Christian and Jewish traditions, Abraham and Sarah. Yet despite this really awful situation, Hagar is the first person to give God a name. In the whole Bible, she's the first one, and God saves her life. So God is there with the outcasts and those who are oppressed and abused by God's people. Finally, let's end with one from the New Testament, for good measure. And we should, it should be Paul, right? We've read a lot from Paul today. So as you may know, Paul was born Saul and spent the first half of his life persecuting, sometimes violently, Christians because of their break from the Jewish faith. It really wasn't pretty. Then he has this big conversion experience, changes his name, and spends the second half of his life as a Christian leader and missionary. So, are you going through a midlife conversion experience and ready to leave behind one way of life to embrace another? God is there. Whatever is going on in your life, God is there. These are just even like a handful of examples. The Bible is full of stories of God's being with God's people in all kinds of shitty and difficult and sometimes even peaceful and transcendent situations. However you are, God's love is there with you. So what is God's love like? I hope the answers that I share today have comforted you, challenged you, and hopefully brought on some other questions for you too. In the coming week, I hope you'll keep your heart open to see what God's love looks like in your life, in your place, in your relationships, in your body. Because the truth is that God's love is so big, so expansive and inclusive that we can't know it all, see it all, or explain it all. It's something that we continue to discover anew as we go through this life. But what I know I'm convinced of is that God's love is always with us, wherever, whoever, and however we are. Prayer for questions. God of all wisdom and truth, I have got some questions for you. Some are curiosities that it would just be cool if I knew the answers to. Others are more complicated and it feels like there's some pressure to them. Like I'm missing out on a chunk of the puzzle and faith feels kind of blurry. Then I have some questions that make it hard for me to believe at all. Questions that I need answers to in order to be able to move forward, to make peace with you, 
or to be able to begin to trust you again. So let's talk. I've got questions. Are you listening? I am. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experienced God's love for you and the world in today's episode. If you're listening to this before February 13th, that means it is not too late to sign up for our special event, All Questions Together. We'll gather on Zoom on Monday, February 13th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're doing this because I want to know what questions you have about God, about the Bible, and living out your faith in 2023. It's a time of all questions, no answers, and no judgment. Your questions will help shape the community life of All Places Together for the coming months. The link to sign up is in the show notes and on our social media pages. And I also hope you'll bring your favorite mug with your favorite evening beverage so that we can question together. Thank you also to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Being church together is so important. Thank you also to those who give financially to empower the ongoing work of APT. If you'd like to give a financial gift, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give to All Places Together. Click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Even small one-time gifts of $5 or $10 or monthly gifts of the same amount add up to make a big difference. We know that it can be hard to give financially. We celebrate all of the ways you share the stories of All Places Together with the people in your life and engage with us online throughout the week. As part of this series, I'll be posting questions on the Instagram stories each week. So be sure you're following us there. It's at All Places Together. I hope you'll respond to the questions and invite others to engage too. If you know someone who has big questions about faith, I also hope you'll consider recommending the APT podcast to them. Your word of mouth recommendations help this community grow more than anything else. Until next time, remember that God is with you and loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.